last week, uh, the worship team had a meeting on Saturday morning, and it took up most of the morning till midday, and that's kind of what this would do. I think it's 8 o'clock till noon. Um, these are just good times to make sure that we're all on the same page, that we're all challenged in what we're doing and realizing the purpose. Uh, in a couple of months, uh, I will go to a conference myself uh, for almost like three, three and a half days, I think it is, in Louisville. Uh, because it's easy for us to get in our own little zone. Okay, I know how I do what I do. And we need to be challenged from, from the Lord's people who are in other areas who have studied uh, beyond where we're at. And sometimes it's good just to be challenged and stoked a little bit more. And so if you're even thinking about or you're involved in our children's programs, uh, please make plans. If you haven't, uh, do, do let, let the office know this week that you plan on coming, all right? Matthew 7. Uh, in a moment, we're going to focus on six verses today, all right? Uh, we'll go ahead, and, and as you'll realize as we get going, if you've been here the last two weeks, I just felt like in particular, the last two Sundays, the Lord met with us in a unique way. I really have felt that, and I am not trying to lower the bar at all of that. That's the Lord's doing. We've said He, it is His grace when He shows up, and we experience and feel his presence in a unique way, um, but he doesn't have to do that, and it doesn't always have to be in a goosebump type way, and I, I don't know that today's passage is going to lend toward a goosebump style sermon, uh, and frankly, we're not going to have like a come forward invitation to my knowledge unless the Lord does something there at the end. I, If it were, it'd be all false teachers come forward and just <laughs> confess to your, your being a false prophet. I, I don't see that happening. Um, so, this is a little different uh, style message, but if you were here last week, you will recall that in the previous three verses, the main thing we spent most of our time on is where Jesus says to enter the narrow gate, and that's the one that leads to eternal life. And if you were here, you'll remember that, and in my heart, I honestly, I tried my absolute best to say what the narrow gate is, that it is Jesus, and that the way to go through, the, I mean, this gate is so narrow that you cannot come and just assume uh, that you're going to consciously go through this narrow gate of faith in Jesus alone with your pet sins. You can't go through this narrow gate with your pet sins, nor can you come to this narrow gate with all of your accomplishments and good works and trying to be good. You better leave all of that out of your mind as you come to put faith in Jesus alone. And, and the Lord knows my heart, and I hope it rang true. I tried my best to specifically and as clearly as possible identify that Jesus is the gate and it is faith alone and to give specific steps of walking through this gate that leads to life. And praise the Lord, several folks did that last week. That was awesome. That was that was encouraging. Uh, amen. Just really thankful for that. Thankful that the Lord is going to get more glory for his grace. Thankful that people will be spared from hell. Thankful that that, that was an answer to prayer. And I know some of you have been praying to that end. That's awesome. Today, though, we need to ask this question. In light of last week, can I even be trusted? Well, Jeff, you stood up there last week and you told us Jesus is the gate and it's faith alone in Jesus and it's not that and it's not that and it's only this. Who am I? Who's this guy? Telling people how to get to heaven. 
Can he be trusted? That's our text today. Can anybody really be trusted? Who can be trusted for us to have spiritual advice and religious advice, eternal life advice from anyone? What's the groundwork? With that in mind, look at verse 15. Really, just following right after that, look what Jesus says. Matthew 7, 15. Here's our text today. Beware. Beware. That's how he started chapter 6. Beware. You're going to want to do these, these acts of religious works. And you got to be careful. You may do certain things to be seen and to be hypocritical. So beware, as he says in chapter 6, verse 1. Now chapter 7, 15. It's a whole other thing. Beware of false prophets. False prophets. Who come to you. They're going to come to you. They'll find you. They'll make their way into your life. They're coming. And when they come to you, they will be, Jesus says, in sheep's clothing. Sheep's clothing. We know that sheep is an analogy for God's people. They're going to be coming in sheep's clothing. But here's the problem. Inwardly, Jesus says, they are ravenous wolves. They're pretending to be either sheep or shepherds. They're coming in sheep's clothing, literally in their appearance, literally the way they look, or in their methodology, the way they sound. They're coming in sheep's clothing. The problem is, inwardly, they're ravenous wolves. So right off the bat, let me make something real clear. What we're talking about in this passage today are false prophets who are not saved. We're not talking about saved Bible teachers and saved Bible preachers who, as they study the Word of God, grow in their understanding of the Word of God and end up... Uh, altering here and there some of the things that they believed in earlier life. We're not talking about that. We're talking about unsaved people. They're wolves in sheep's clothing. Man, this sounds serious. Verse 16, you will recognize them. I think what Jesus is saying here, he's implying if you will pay attention, you will recognize them. Here's how he's saying. Here's how you'll recognize them. You'll recognize them by their fruits, by their fruits. And then that word jumps into this agricultural analogy. And Jesus asked some simple questions. All of us know the answer. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes? When you're ready to go gather grapes, do you go to thorn bushes? And we say, well, no. Or are figs gathered from thistles? Want some figs? Will you go to thistles for figs? We know the answer to that. Based on that, Christ says, so... In the same way, now first let's just read it as agriculture, right? Let's just take his parabolic statement purely as an agricultural statement. So every healthy tree bears good fruit. If it is truly healthy, it will bear good fruit. I want you to picture a tree that is just green and vibrant, plenty of water, plenty of nutrients, plenty of sunlight. It is in perfect conditions. It has a husbandman, a farmer that is just tending to this thing all of the time. Its tree trunk is thick and hard and full of water and its branches are all out and the leaves are green and it's in its season and it is just flourishing with, food, with fruit, verse 17. So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but Charlie Brown's Christmas tree, verse 17, oh, that's not in the text, wait a minute. But the diseased tree bears bad fruit. You don't see healthy fruit on the little scrawny or on a thistle or a thorn bush. You don't go look for any kind of fruit on that kind of tree. So the diseased tree bears bad fruit, keeping the analogy going. 
A healthy tree, a healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit. If it's bearing bad fruit, it's not a healthy tree. Healthy tree can't bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. You just don't picture, again, Charlie Brown's little scrawny little pine tree with bananas just flourishing on it. Now, you can go staple and tack and try to tape some bananas, but that's not the truth. That is fake. That is phony. Nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Verse 19 Remembering, we're not only talking, this is true of trees, but we know that these tree, this tree analogy represents Bible teacher, preachers, those who claim to be prophets, speaking on behalf of God. Verse 19, every tree that does not bear good fruit, that's the main purpose of a tree. If it doesn't bear good fruit, it is cut down and thrown into the fire. And now we know what happens to false teachers. There are the bad tree. Every tree that does not bear good fruit... It just doesn't bear good fruit. It's going to be cut down and it will be thrown into the fire we know is to hell and the lake, the eternal lake of fire. And this is literally going to happen. And then verse 20 repeats verse 16. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. So back to verse 15. I want us to notice two things this morning. Uh, Notice the first word, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Two things to notice today. Number one, there's a warning about false teachers, real simple. If you guys read this text over and over and over, you would realize pretty quickly, verse verse 15 has a thought, and then verse 16, 17, 18, 19, 20 kind of carries this other thought. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I'm not going to get lost in the analogy of the agricultural things. I want us to get the truth that is being taught by these. So number one, there's a warning about false teachers, or we could even say false prophet. Look again the first words. Beware, Grace View. Beware. Here's what that means. There is danger. This is major danger. And this danger may be near, and it could be very near, and this danger is coming, even if it isn't near right now. Let this sink in. Danger is coming. Danger is coming from where? False prophet. Right. People who speak falsehood. Here's the thing. These people are telling lies. They're lying. But it's worse than your typical liar because these people are claiming to be speaking on behalf of God. Their lies are being attached to God. That's worse than your normal liar. Here's what's happening. These people claim to be a prophet speaking forth the truth of God. Not just predicting the future. Declaring the truth of God in Christ's day or in our day. You know, this is what the Bible says and this is what God says and this is what God thinks. And this is what God will do when none of that is true. That's a big problem. Beware, danger is near. And then added in verse number 15, part of the warning and part of the problem is they come to us in sheep's clothing. What does that mean? It either means one of two things. Different people think different things. I can see both. It could mean they're trying to act like they are also a Christian. So they're coming trying to look like sheep. Or they tell us that shepherds in that era would wear wool themselves. And so they're going to smell like the sheep. And they're living among the sheep. And they earn the trust of the sheep. And so here come these people acting and looking and and pretending and talking like true prophets. What's the goal? To deceive people. To earn people's trust. So here's the problem. Don't be fooled by appearances. If, If verse... 
15b mean, means anything, here's what it means. They will look like a Christian. What do false prophets look like? Whatever you think a true prophet looks like, that's what they're going to look like. There'll be a version. You may look at some and say, I can recognize that one. But there'll be some that you think, now that's what a prophet looks like, and that's going to be a false prophet. You're going to say, what do they look like? They look like a Christian. That's the key. They look, you cannot tell by looking at their external appearance. But the problem is they are unsaved on the inside. They are ravenous wolves. They are just pretending. They're looking and acting like a Christian, acting like a true prophet, but they are really not that. And so here's our warning this morning. Very, very simple. Don't listen to everybody that's giving spiritual advice. Now, I know that's weird. I'm up here giving spiritual advice, not to listen to everybody that gives spiritual advice. Don't listen to everybody that goes around talking about religious things and talking about God. Don't just assume, right? Don't listen to everyone who's giving. Now, I'm going to put them in two categories. Over here is one person. Listen, they mean well. They mean well. They're just wrong. Don't listen to people who mean well and are wrong. That's not good. That's bad. But that could be a Christian who is growing in their faith. They just haven't learned the Word of God yet. Right? That is not this text. What this text is talking about is a person who in their heart's intention is to pull people away from the Lord and to follow them. Watch out for that kind of person. Go with me if you would. Hold your spot here. Put your marker there. Go to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, just a few pages over. Well, a couple of three or four books over. Acts chapter 20. We looked at this several times on Wednesday nights a few weeks ago when we were talking about elder leadership. Acts chapter 20, I'm going to read verse 17, and then if you have your Bible, we're going to jump over to verse 28. Notice verse 17. Now, from, so Paul is on his way back to Jerusalem at the end of the third missionary journey. But he wants to get some last teaching with the elder, pastor, teacher, shepherds, bishops from this large city of Ephesus. But he doesn't want to go into Ephesus because he spent three years there and he loves those people so much. It's going to get him off of his time frame. And so he's going to ask the church leaders of Ephesus to meet him over near the sea at a town called Miletus. Look at verse 17. Now from Miletus... He sent to Ephesus and called the elders. That's who he's going to be talking to. He calls the elders of the church come to him. Look at verse 28. This is what he tells. I don't know how many are at this pastor's conference, but it is Paul the apostle and the prophet who is teaching them and challenging them. And here's what he says to the pastor, bishop, elders, shepherds. Pay careful attention to yourselves. So he's telling these people, your first ministry is always to be careful watching your own life. And to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. What he's saying is, you didn't choose this life. You didn't make this calling. You didn't just decide the Holy Spirit put this calling on you and this gifting. And he has made you overseers. What do overseers do? To care for the church of God. Paul is saying, guys, it's not your church. It is God's church. God, which he obtained with his own blood. God bought the church with his own blood. Wait a minute. I thought it was Jesus' blood. Okay. 
Jesus is God. It is the church of Jesus. It is the church of God the Father. It is the church of the Holy Spirit. God's church that he bought with his blood. Guys, it's not your church. Your job is to look to yourself and oversee the church. The Holy Spirit puts you in that position. I'm reading this for verse 29 and 30. Here's why we're looking at it. Paul says, and he's, he's a prophet and an apostle. I know that after my departure... What I think that means is because he's an apostle, he literally wrote 13 books of the New Testament. False prophets are probably not going to try a lot in the three years he's in Ephesus. They're going to try some. But what he's saying is, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves, that's the false prophets, will come in among you, elders, not sparing the flock. And then he kicks it up. He says, and I know this, verse 30, from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things. Why, why will they do this? To draw away the disciples after them. To draw away the disciples away from the other disciples and away from the Lord trying to draw them over. What he's saying is, I don't know who you are, but in this group some of you are going to end up being false prophets. Some of you are going to be these wolves. I know it's going to come after I depart. Leave there. Go to one of the last books in your Bible. Go back to Second John, it is only one chapter. It's actually not even chapters. Second John. Flip over there. This is actually written to a lady, if we take it literally, a lady who has a house church in her home. So a faith family meets. She's not the pastor. She's just kind of the host lady. Uh, verse number one, we know this is John as we study this out. But the elder, he's the last remaining apostle. All the other apostles have died. The elder to the elect lady back in verse number one and her children. And he goes on and he's in essence writing about a church that meets in her house because they didn't have church buildings at the end of the first century. Look at verse seven. John writes to her, for many deceivers have gone out into the world. Many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. They do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. That's one of the problems. That, that, that's an earmark right off the bat. They're wrong on their Christology. They're wrong on their doctrine of Christ. He continues. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. He tells this lady, watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we've worked for. All that we've been working and building for decades and decades in the church. Watch out. These people will come in and in a moment undo what's been done. He says again, verse 8, watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Verse 9 tells what they do. Everyone who goes on ahead, that's the problem. John says, watch for this. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. So verse 9 again, everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. So what he's saying is, here's the teaching, here's the truth about God and the Lord Jesus Christ. False prophets are like, yeah, okay, that's nice, but listen, I've got some new information. I have a special word for the Lord. That there is just not new enough, it's not modern enough, it's not fresh enough. That's kind of old. I want you to follow me into this new teaching that only I have. Nope, you're wrong. The people who stay in the Bible, that's the ones you need to follow. Well, what happens if they come to our faith family? Verse 10, John, the Bible says, If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, John's teaching, the teaching of the Bible, 
Do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. Hey, good to have you today. Aren't you the false prophet that just got kicked out of the church across town? I am. Well, good to have you. No. Get out of here. Didn't they just kick you out over there and over there? Yeah, I'm going to try over here. No, get out of here. You're not welcome here. Well, that's rude. Verse 10, if anyone comes to you and comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. You say, Jeff, this sounds kind of, this is a little rude. Back to Matthew 7. Look at verse 15 one more time. Beware of false prophets. How serious are we talking about? I'm probably going to sound like I'm exaggerating when I say this, right? If there's a stockbroker or a financial manager and he intentionally guides people to make investments that benefit him but squanders their wealth, when he's caught, he's going to lose his license and he's probably going to have to go to court and he could go to jail. You say, that's horrible. Those people had their wealth and they were going to retire on that. Now they have nothing. This guy totally, I get it. That is awful. False teachers, far worse than that. If you have a false doctor who on a regular basis prescribes things, either medicine or procedures that are deteriorating the bodies of his patients or even causing them to die, you'd say, that's horrible, that's malpractice, he can go to jail for that. That's true. False prophets are far worse than a a false doctor who's causing people to lose their physical life. I'll go further than that. If we hope this never happens, we truly, I literally have prayed this never happens. If a gunman were to come in on a Sunday morning and injure many and kill five, six, seven Christians, that would be tragic. But that is not as destructive as a false prophet who stands all around the country every day in the pulpits and is deceiving people and teaching them that if they'll just trust in their good works and, and in their goodness and all that they do, that'll get them to heaven. That is far more destructive than a gunman that kills six or seven Christians. Far more. Why? Write this down. Because the eternal is far more crucial than the temporal. I get it. Our next breath, we want that breath. We want something to drink. We need something to eat. We need clothes to wear. We need shelter, medicines, all those things. We have to have money to live. All of those illustrations I just used, I get it. But because the eternal is far more crucial than the temporal, false teachers are even more destructive than those who seek to do physical damage to someone. This is serious. This is very, very serious. And that's why I conclude our first point with some specific challenges. I need you to work with me in your mind. Answer these questions. Who do you let affect your thinking? As I ask these questions, I want everybody in here in your mind put names to it. Who do you let affect your thinking? What Bible teachers are you listening to? Some of you I know listen to Bible teaching on the radio. Who do you listen to on the radio? What's their name? Some of you are like, well, I watch some folks on TV throughout the week, or I watch them early Sunday morning, or I watch them Sunday night. What's their name? Who are you watching on TV? Who are you listening to on the radio? Some of you are like really zealous, and you listen to podcasts of people that are trying to teach and preach the Bible. I would ask you, who are the people that you you say, okay, I got it. I'm not going to listen to anybody on the radio, anybody on TV, any podcast. I'm cutting them off. Which books are you reading? And if you're like, okay, I'm not going to read any more Christian books. Guys, that's not the answer. There are some awesome Bible teachers. 
awesome Bible teachers out there. But the question that we need to be asking ourselves is, are we being careful? When I'm listening to someone, does the Holy Spirit in me and does the Word of God validate their message? Does the Word of God coincide with what they're teaching? And does the Holy Spirit, I'm not asking, do you like what they're teaching? Because somebody here today is like, oh, I'm listening to this one fellow, I'm listening to this one lady. I'm not, I hate it, I hate, but I need to listen to it. And they're getting all over my case, okay. The question is, is it biblical? It's not, do you like it? I confess to you guys, I read some books. I read some books about Matthew before I come in here each week. But I'll tell you this. Those of you been here on Wednesday have heard me say this. Before I read any of them and before they have a shot to affect what I think about a passage, I'm going to read that passage very, very slowly at least 10 to 15 times. This past week, I read 12 times very slowly. For me, that takes a long time, literally like a few hours. And by the time I had read the text, there's some books over there. I'll get to you in a minute, but there's, or maybe tomorrow. But I read this text 12 times. I now have four pages of notes in front of me. And by the time I finish reading, just me and the Lord, we had five and a half pages of notes. And that ended up ballooning up to almost eight pages by the time they got a say in what's going to be here. What's your point? Let God speak to you first before you let anyone else try to have a shot at what you believe. And how do you do that? Read the text slowly. Read the Bible slowly, thoughtfully. Learn the rules of interpretation that we just spoke about recently on Wednesday night. Number two. Not only is there a warning about false teachers and number two, and this has some points under it, there's a test to identify false teachers. There's a test that is given to identify the false teachers. And it's verses 16 to 20. Literally, guys, false teachers are as ravenous as wolves. So Jeff, what you said a while ago about financial advisors and doctors gone crazy and doing damage and causing death and a gunman... And now you're saying that false teachers are more dangerous than any of them. This sounds extreme. How are we going to know these people? How are we going to recognize them? Jesus is acting like it's imminent. They could literally be around us. If they're not, they are coming. We need to know this. What are they going to, how are we going to know what they look like? Well, listen carefully. You will not be able to tell by looking. You are not going to be... I can tell by that guy's voice. What? That's false teacher. I can tell by the voice. You hear the demonic stuff in the throat? It isn't going to happen that way. They're not going to walk in with a little sign around their neck. They're not going to have a little button. I am a false teacher. You're not going to tell by their clothing. Uh, Not wearing a tie. That's probably not a true teacher. Okay. Not in the Bible. Some would honestly think they're not wearing a suit and tie. Probably not a true Bible teacher. Someone else, on the other hand, would say because they're not wearing a suit and tie, they probably are. People have different views. One over here, that one's wearing jeans and a t-shirt. Can't be a true prophet of God. Another would say, because they're wearing jeans and a t-shirt, kind of trendy looking, I think they're kind of cool. They probably are the prophet of God. Guys, you're not going to be able to tell by that. You got a false prophet hairdo. No, you got a true prophet hairdo. You got a true pastor's hairdo. I can tell you're telling the truth. Guys, don't fall for any of that. That's just sheep's clothing. Jesus makes it very clear. Look at verse 16. You'll recognize them by their fruits. Anybody want to guess what word is seven times in these six verses? Anybody want to guess? Fruits. When a word that is hardly comes up in our text comes up seven times over and over and over and over in a passage in just six verses, 
That's the main thing that we're trying to get at in this text. The Lord's very clear. You will know them by their fruits. And then that causes Jesus to launch into this analogy of agriculture. Spiritual fruits in a, in a teacher's life is the same equivalent of fruit in a tree's life or a vine's life. Now here's the problem. How are we going to know them? God knows who the false prophets are. God knows everybody's full heart. He knows their full theology. He knows their, all of their belief system. He knows all of their history. He knows their whole life. God knows everything. But here's the problem. We don't know any of that. The good news, what Christ is saying is, if you will give it time and pay attention, what's on the inside? He knows who they are, and that's what they are on the inside. They're ravenous wolves pretending to be sheep or shepherds, but what's on the inside is eventually going to come out. So God knows fully who they are, but even we can recognize who they are. So write this down. The surest way for us to recognize what someone is is by their fruit. And what is fruit? Fruit is that which very simply comes out of us. What is it that comes out of us? God knows everything about them. He knows everything about you. He knows who here today are true believers and who are pretenders and who are straight up there to acknowledge, I am not a Christian. He knows everything. He knows the full Knowledge of each one of us. He knows our spiritual condition. He knows all around Anderson County there are false prophets and pulpits literally as I am speaking. Some are wrapping up their sermons. Some are in the middle of their sermons. You say, who, they are? who are they? I don't know. I don't listen to all of them. But I guarantee you they're in Anderson County. And some would say that I am one of them. Because I am on a different teaching plane of the scriptures. A different approach. Different thought, theology and doctrine than they are. So how do we know? By their fruit. So guys, here's the thing. I'm not a horticulturalist. I'm not a botanist. Literally, I know very, very little. If I did, we would have grass instead of weeds at our house. Or a mix. We have a mix. Uh, I, I know nothing. But I know this. I know that grapes don't come from thorn bushes. I know that. And I know that figs don't come from thistles. And I also know that if I'm just, hey, I need some thorns, I'm not going to go look at a grapevine. And I need some thistles, I'm not going to go look at a fig tree. Guys, I'm no horticulturalist, but I, even I know an orange tree when I see it. You say, you do? After a while, I can tell if it's an orange tree. Now, Mike Barrow worked down in, lived in Florida, and he, this is his world. I guarantee he could go right now and say, that's an orange tree in its infant stage. You're like, yeah, that's an orange tree, and that's a this, that, and the other. I can't tell that, but my point being, if you will give it time, I can tell. If I go look at a tree, and it has like 200 oranges just bursting all over the place. Like, that's an orange tree. Oh, you think? Yeah, yeah, that's an orange tree. That one over there, that's a grapefruit tree. That one over there, that's a, that's a banana. Over there, there's a cherry tree. Over there, there's a grapefruit. Man, you're really sharp. Yeah, I can see fruit. So when the fruit comes out, that's what Christ is saying. When the fruit comes out, even you will recognize who are the true and who are the false. Just look at the fruit. Pay attention to the fruit. It's the same way with false teachers. This is key. False teachers can come in and for a while, boy, that was a great message. Be careful of endorsing someone's ministry off of a great message. That may have been a timely thing and that message may have been true. Be careful of just signing off of they're a great Bible teacher. 
The jury should still be out in your mind. You need to take a while to start really hearing what is this person's position on this and this and this. How do they handle all of the scripture? Remember how I started this morning. This is probably not the message that I would have chosen this week, right? This isn't an exciting message. This isn't a super popular message. What are we doing? We're talking about false teachers. I would have chosen something else. But the Lord has us working through his word. And this is the next message False teachers, they can fake it for a while, but eventually the fruit of who they are comes out. What is their fruit? So I want to spend just the next little bit noticing three things that is the fruit of false teachers. Number one, here's things. You say, how will we know who the false teachers are? Number one, false prophets have a corrupt message. That's the first clear sign. False prophets have a corrupt message. Would you hold your spot there? Go to the next to the last book of the Bible, Jude. It also has just one chapter, Jude. Would you find Jude? Very interesting passage here. Jude. Here's the thought. False prophets have a corrupt message. Jesus says you'll know them by their fruit. Be listening. Is their message corrupt? Jude, verse 3, after telling who he is, we can figure out he's the Lord's half-brother. He's James's full brother. James had written the first book of the New Testament, perhaps. Verse 3, look at it. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation. I mean, Jude is saying, man, I was so excited. This tells me a lot about, I won't get off into how the New Testament came into being, but how God inspired Scripture. This man honestly thought he's going to write about salvation. I don't know what he meant, but it was probably about why we need salvation, what God did to supply salvation, how he brings salvation to us, what it does for us in this life, what it will do for us in the next life, how should we, we should have hope, and all the wonderful ramifications of salvation. That's what he's thinking. That's what he's preparing. Verse 3 again. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary. What? Change of plan. I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith, the faith, the body of belief. To contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Now notice, why is he feeling like he had to switch gears? Notice verse 4. Jude, why the switch? For certain people, <coughs> excuse me, for certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people. Watch what they do. Who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Who pervert, you know what they do? He says, I thought I was going to write our, about our common salvation, but I'm needing to warn you to fight and contend and to watch and to be aware and stand up against these people who come in and they'll say, oh, yes, the grace of God. But the grace of God, their version of it is they pervert it into sensuality, which means your senses, you like to look at certain things that are sinful. You like to hear certain things that are sinful. You like to say sinful things. 
You like to feel sinful things. You like the taste of sinful things. You like to do sinful activity because your body has these urges. Don't worry about it. God's grace will cover all of that. It's fine. And Jude says they're liars. They deny the Lord and they, they sign off that the grace of God, God doesn't have a problem with our sensuality. And that's a problem. False teachers, very clearly, their message contradicts the Bible. And that's the problem. <clears throat> Excuse me. So here I need to make another distinction. I alluded to this earlier. And so in these fruits of false teachers, I want to make some distinctions. Here's one. Listen carefully. There is a difference between incomplete theology and being a false prophet. Apollos is a man in the New Testament who knew the Old Testament and was gifted by God to be a preacher. He was a true prophet of God. He knows the Old Testament backwards and forwards. He just doesn't know about Christ and the Holy Spirit working in the church. He doesn't know all that there is to know. So it's not until a couple that Paul had taught named Aquila and Priscilla pull Apollos to the side and they train him privately. His theology was incomplete. So here's my point. There's a difference between an incomplete theology that Bible teachers and Bible preachers are growing in. There's that. And then there's being a false prophet. Again, these people are unsaved. Sheep's clothing means these false prophets are going to come in and they're intentionally going to use words and phrases and Christianese and talk about God and they may even talk about the Lord Jesus Christ. And their purpose is to fool and to gain your trust and to fool people into following them and then they give their real theology which is against and again contradicts the word of God. Write this down. Their message contradicts the Bible because... Rather than coming to the Word of God and reading it over and over, listen to my word very carefully here, rather than discover what God says in His Word and then declare what God says in His Word, they just give their own ideas. That's a key thing. They don't work, they don't read the Bible to discover what God says. They don't pray, Lord, would you please show me what this text is about? And then all of a sudden, wow, that's what God says. They don't discover God's truth and then declare it. They come with their own ideas. In fact, I'll go further than your note on the screen. Here's what they often do. They already know what they want to talk about. Here's what happens. They know what they want to talk about before they ever come to the Bible. But they know that we won't buy it if there isn't some Bible attached. So having figured out, I want to talk about this, now I just need a passage of, of Scripture. And so they'll get a verse and pull it out and give some half-truth and then twist it and take it out of its context and try to pull off that it is a biblical message when it is really just their message. And that's one of the main methods. The key here is they're not discovering what God says. They've already made up their mind what they want to say. They just need to find somewhere where God makes it sound like what they're wanting to say. Why? So God's people will buy it and the naive will follow these people. We're supposed to be watching against that. Be careful. Watch against that. You need to be checking, is, this, is the point they're making being brought out in the context? And that's why I like preaching through a book of the Bible. So each week we can say, how does that compare to what's gone before it? Now, I want to differentiate. I'm about to say something. I wouldn't die for this. I'm giving you my opinion, right? I'm telling you right here. I'm giving you my opinion. This is not definitely from the Bible. I want you to picture, here's a, a professed Christian and over here's a person who asks them about their salvation. 
Hey, are you going to heaven? Oh, yeah, I'm going to heaven. Okay, great. What makes you think you're going to heaven? I've actually seen this. I've even encountered it myself. If this person asked this one about their salvation, okay, great, going to heaven. I'm a Christian. Okay, great. How do you know you're a Christian? Hey, that's none of your business. That's private. You don't need to worry about that. You know what I've determined? That to me is a major red flag. In fact, I kind of write that person up as an unbeliever. Because I don't think any Christian is going to get offended at someone caring enough about my soul. Wait, I probably would respond to that. Wait, you want to know why I think I'm going to heaven? Oh, I'm a Christian. Okay, what makes you think you're going to I've put my faith and trust in Jesus. What's awesome is that you cared enough about me to ask that. I think an unbeliever gets all mad about it. Years ago, I was with a young man named Jack over here in this community over here called Loblolly Pines, and we were going around. I remember an older lady in her yard got very upset with me and Jack and said, we need to do something different with our life. And yet she claimed to be a Christian, but she was mad that we were asking what she was trusting to go to heaven. So, Jeff, what's your point there? I believe that a true Bible teacher, when they hear that someone in their audience is saying, I'm checking you all the time by the Bible. I believe that teacher loves that. A true Bible teacher is thankful for that. Yes, don't take my word for it. Go by what the Lord says. Constantly be checking me through the scriptures. Give me a moment. I'm fighting my throat today for some reason. I want to go further than what I just said. Can I tell you a Bible teacher that I have respect for? You say, what's their name? It's less of a name and it's more of an approach. I respect a Bible teacher who will confess that they're not completely comfortable with everything that they themselves teach. I respect that. You say, what do you mean? If someone says, hey, listen... I'm teaching this, I believe this, I believe the Bible is saying this. Oh, by the way, I ain't crazy about it. I don't even fully like it, but God doesn't check with me. You say, Jeff, why would anybody not fully and completely love what, if they're teaching it, why wouldn't they do it? Here's why, watch. This book's called the Bible, but what's its number one title? It's called the Word of God. It's the word of who? It's the word of God. It says about God that God's ways are not our ways. God's ways, not our ways. So what does that mean? To put it real simple, what that means is God is running the universe how none of us would run the universe. None of us would say how everything is going in the world right now. If I was an all-powerful God, I would run everything exactly the way God's running it. No one here would do that. Exactly how history has gone. All that goes on. All the good, all the pain, all the bad. Roll it all together. That's exact. Nobody here would do that. So the point being, this is God's word. And a true Bible teacher is going to come to this and say, this isn't how I would do it, but this is what God's word says. And I don't get to decide what I believe. God has already settled what I believe. If I'm going to believe the Bible, I just have to preach what God's word says. That's a true Bible teacher. Write this down. Here's what a 
false prophet does. Three things. <clears throat> Go ahead and give that note. False teachers. <coughs> excuse me. Three things. False teachers gravitate to what is popular. False teachers often lack strong theology. And false teachers often omit offensive doctrines. <clears throat> I don't know why this is happening with my throat. Uh, <clears> throat> I literally thought this morning, be this side. Now it's this side. And it's not a sore throat. It's hard. Somebody stuffed cotton in my throat last night. And it's deciding to come out right now. <clears throat> and that's fine. That's all in the Lord's hands. <clears throat> Notice that list. You see, here's what false teachers do. What do they want to hear? And that's what I'll teach. False teachers are going to lack strong theology. Jeff, what do you mean by that? They're very uncommitted on primary doctrines. I have seen this before. Very, very popular people. Very popular. And I mean guys so popular that today and right around probably right now or in just a little bit, they will have tens of thousands of people live watching them. And they're on a talk show. And they're basically being asked. So I understand you're a Christian. This is not word for word. But here's the gist. Asked by a talk show host. So you're a Christian and you're a pastor. And so you're that. That's your belief. But what do you say about like Judaism? Guys, we're talking about Judaism that denies that Jesus is their Messiah. What do you say about Islam? What do you say about Hindus and Buddhism? Are they going to all go to heaven as well? And this person comes out and says, well, we just believe that God will do what's right in the end. That's a problem. That's a false teacher. It's not just what he says. He always avoids saying certain things. He ain't the only one. There's a lot of them around the country. There's a lot of them around the country. Catch what he said. If someone were to say, Jeff, do you think Judaism as it's set up and the way they reject Jesus today, are they going to heaven? No, Judaism, the way they have it set up is an incomplete theology. They need to come to the New Testament. Their Messiah has come, and he's come in the form of a Savior and died on the cross. You have to believe that. What about Mormonism? That's a cult, guys. What about Hindus and what about the Islam? Those are cults. There's just no way around it. And if someone comes along and says, well, okay, what about Jesus? What do you mean he's the son of God? Well, you know, different people think that means different things. What do you believe? Well, you know, different people think different Answer the question. Jesus is fully God and fully man. And because he's fully God, he lived a sinless life. And that's why his death on the cross is enough to pay for all our sins. Any more questions? Be real clear. False teachers are wishy-washy. They lack a strong theology. Why? Because strong theology is often offensive. And I don't want to talk about that. Let's avoid those passages. And let's stick in the passages that are the honey spots. And I can use this to launch out into what's really popular. Because I just want a crowd following me. False prophets have corrupt messages. Number two. False prophets have corrupt lifestyles. Now this one gets tricky. False prophets have corrupt lifestyles. Again, hold your spot, Matthew. Would you go over to Romans chapter 16? Would you find Romans 16? You'll readily say this is the last chapter of Romans. After all that Paul has taught the Roman church, he's never been there, but he's given them a great book of theology. 
Such a foundational book of theology. He's finished by giving all these greetings to 20-some people that he knows by name that lived in Rome. And as it gets down to verse 17, watch what Paul says. I appeal to you, brothers, means brothers and sisters in Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, watch out. So grace view. You say, Jeff, it's a little distracting with what's going on with your voice and some things are going on. Hear what the Bible says to grace view. I appeal to you, brothers, watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. What doctrine? The doctrine taught from the true Bible teachers and prophets that were local and also the doctrine that is in the book of Romans. What do these people do? He says, watch out for those. They cause divisions, and they don't care. They're wolves. They hate the sheep. They don't care. that All they're going to do is cut and run anyway and go somewhere else and cause trouble. Watch out for people that do that. Watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught and avoid them. Well, if you believe that part of the book of Romans, then that affects this. And, and, and they put up these obstacles why we shouldn't believe clear teaching of the Bible. Yes, Romans says that all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. But that really doesn't mean, no, all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Watch for people who, have, who do that. But to our point here, verse 18, Paul says, watch them, avoid them. Why? For such persons do not serve. You see that word serve? They are not a bond servant of our Lord Christ. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but, here's the idea, they serve their own appetites. They are not slaves to Christ, they are slaves to their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. Watch out for them. They're coming. They may already be there, Romans. They're probably in your house churches as we speak. Be aware of them. Look for them and avoid them. Don't let them have a platform. Verse 18 again. What do they do? They are slaves to their appetites. Their body has these appetites and they're slaves to the appetites. Write this down. So we just wrote that a false prophet has corrupt, a corrupt lifestyle. So write this. A false teacher can be such for his content. That was point one. Oh yeah, their message is corrupt. A false teacher... False prophet can be such for his content or for his conduct. And I want to be careful here. This is where I need to go back and say there are born-again believers, those of us who teach and preach the Bible. Listen, guys, we struggle with sin. Every Christian struggles with sin. I want you to understand there are no infallible Bible teachers on earth today. There are no infallible That's why all the great teachers don't agree on everything. They're all wrong on something, right? I almost made a stupid, uh, well, they're all wrong except me, right? They're all wrong. No, I am wrong. You say, Jeff, where are you wrong? I don't know yet, but I can tell you some things that I have said years ago in a Christian school that I was wrong, and the Lord has now identified it to me. And so I want to keep growing in my theology. No one is infallible in their teaching, and no one is sinless in their living. I want to make that clear. So you say, Jeff, false, but they're the ones who have corrupt lifestyles, is what I want to make that point. All right? No one is sinless, not even close. No one's not even close to being sinless. 
But verse 18 says that a common mark, write this down, a common mark of false teachers is that they are slaves to their sinful appetites, slaves to the lust of the flesh, slaves to the lust of the eye, slaves to the pride of life. Why is that important? Again, I'm careful here, realizing that I'm talking about unbelievers versus those of us who are believers who still struggle with sin and we're not we still see through a glass darkly. We know in part. We don't know fully. We're still growing in our faith. So what is the distinction here? These people are slaves to sin. They are pretending in front of you, but they know all the time that there's this sinful drive that is going on in them. Christians, unbelievers, false prophets are trying to manage sin and keep it from getting discovered. Meanwhile, Christians are battling sin. There's a difference. Christians, all Christians battle sin, but they battle. An unbeliever may try to manage and keep it hidden. And there is a difference between the two. Here's the point. Even when someone's teaching is correct, the influence of their life can still be destructive if they are in sin. One person I've struggled with in Scripture is this man named Balaam. Balaam talks to God. And what Balaam says is going to happen, happens. That's why when he's paid money to proclaim a, a prophecy against Israel, it just doesn't come out as a prophecy against Israel. God makes it come out as a blessing, and the man wants his money back that paid him to curse Israel. So then Balaam is a true prophet. He communicates with the Lord, and what he says actually happens. No, here's the problem. The New Testament's very clear. Balaam is a false prophet. Why is Balaam a false prophet? Because of his lifestyle and his motive. What he says actually happens. Second Peter. Leave Romans for a moment. Go to Second Peter chapter 2. We literally could have, but we're not preaching Second Peter. We're just using this as quick proof text about what Jesus is teaching us in Matthew 7. But if you want to do a further study, then study all of chapter 2. Study the book of Jude. Jude thought he was going to write about our salvation, but he ends up giving his whole letter to exposing false teachers. 2 Peter chapter 2, basically the same thing. Look at verse 14. We're talking about false prophets have corrupt lifestyles. What do we mean? Verse 14. Peter says, they have eyes full of adultery. Oh, okay. So they have thoughts or maybe they struggled with something. No, their eyes are full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. Watch this line because I'm going to come to it in a moment. Different passage, same idea. Look at this line. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children. Look at that verse again. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed. It's not on the screen. If you have your Bible open, you'll be able to look back at verse number 2. Do you see verse number 2 in chapter 2? And many will follow their sensuality. What, what's the problem if they have a sinful life as long as they're saying truthful things? As long as they have a pretty good understanding of Scripture. And they got their you know, two or three doctrines and they always hover around there. And those are basically biblical in the main. Then what does it matter? Verse 2 says, many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of truth, Christianity, will be blasphemed. People are going to find, they live a sinful lifestyle and people are going to find that out and they're going to follow. Well, apparently, if the preacher's doing it, it's okay. No, it's not okay. I've concluded this. If my doctrine is proper, 
And I do believe it is. And your job is to check me every week. If my doctrine, I want you to pretend, please don't anybody ever edit this little line out of here. If my doctrine is proper, but I'm embezzling money from Graceview. Oh, and I broke off an affair that I was in because I've started a new affair. I hope nobody ever cuts that little line. I, I've got proof. This guy says he's embezzling money. He told his whole audience he's embezzling money. Like, please don't ever pull that. And he says he broke off an affair. No, no, I'm not in that. If that were, oh, but, but Jeff tells us the truth. Guys, if I'm embezzling money and I'm in an affair, ongoing affairs, then I've disqualified myself from being able to stand up and preach the word of God. Just disqualified it. Now, where that gets tricky is that I believe God can forgive acts of sin. And he can even restore. The problem is we destroy people's trust in us. So I don't know how long that can take. And I, I don't, that's a whole other study that gets really subjective. But what I'm saying is unbelievers, these false prophets, you mark it down. They constantly are battling certain things. What are they battling? Adultery is often a part of it. And it has to do with this money aspect often. False prophets just have corrupt lifestyles. False teachers care a whole lot more about what they get out of ministry than what they can give to ministry. So why did you go into religion? Why did you go into the pastorate or evangelism? False teachers, if you're taking notes, they're lured into religion by certain sinful, selfish pursuits. And it's the usual ones that's already in your mind. You say, what would draw people into religion? What would lure them? Well, number one is money. Again, you're still in 2 Peter. You're in chapter 2. Look at verse 3. Money's a big one, guys. Watch, watch them. Watch them. Peter says, and in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. First part of the verse again. In their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Not only is their teaching false, I think what they're doing is in their fundraising, they're lying to you about where the money is going. You want to watch? This is very, very common among false supposed prophets. Now, here's the trouble. True Bible teachers and preachers are going to ask God's people to give money. The apostles received money to care for the poor. Paul raised money on his missionary journeys for the poor in Jerusalem. Paul received money to send him on missionary journeys. Sometimes he worked on missionary journeys, particularly in the city of Corinth, and paid his own way. But at other times, he is being funded by the Antioch church and the Philippian church in particular. And he even writes in the book of Romans, Hey, Rome, I want to come to you and have you fund my ministry when I go to Spain. So Paul raises money for poor people. He raises money to further the ministry, even his ministry. But here's a hallmark of false teachers. They're constantly seeking to benefit themselves financially. I'll go ahead and say, they're not very good at teaching us what the Bible says, but they're often very good at raising money. Watch them. If you were here the first year I was here, I don't think I ever talked about giving because I just don't want to ever be associated with one of those preachers. There they go. Especially if somebody's a visitor for the first time and they walk in and out of 52 weeks... One of the two or three, usually around Lottie Moon or Annie Armstrong offering. See, another typical preacher. They're always money grabbing. And so I would just shy away from it. But some people, boy, it's constantly. Can I? I'm, I'm venting for a moment. I know my time's gone, but I'm going to vent for just a moment. 
More on TV than radio. More on TV than radio. I've seen this. You ever watch them? They have these 30-minute programs. 30 minutes. And out of 30 minutes, they'll have about six minutes where they're showing some footage of them speaking. But then they'll briefly we'll want to interrupt this and that and the other and remind you for a certain gift, we're going to send you. If you'll give this amount of money, we're going to send you a book by me. And you get a calendar if you'll give this much. Or if you give this much, I'm going to give you a cloth. And I've prayed over it. And they'll show you footage. It's not the same footage you showed three years ago when you were overseas and things were happening. <sighs> 24 minutes of fundraise, fundraise, fundraise in just a few minutes. I'm thinking, why do you have a show? They have a show to raise money so they can have a show. To raise money so they can have a show. That's the purpose. The other things that lure them in is fame and pride. They want to be famous. We should preach so that Christ is being furthered. We should preach to reveal Christ. Many preachers, I think, preach to reveal how charismatic and how clever and how smart they are. And they'll go and they'll take this church as a stepping stone for this church and a stepping stone. Because really what they're after, they want to be in this realm of people. And they would just, it's all about being really well known. Watch out. They're hungry and thirsty for power and for fame. Why did you go into religion? There's some people. Why did you go into church ministry? And some people's heart, they just want to lord over God's people. They want to lord over God's people. And again, the book of Peter warns pastors not to be that way. They want to make much of themselves. Write this quickly. Here's the problem. We cannot make much of Christ and much of ourselves at the same time. You can't do it. Your goal, the inward motive cannot be, boy, I hope they walk away just thinking great things about me. No, the goal of a true Bible teacher, Bible preacher, what motivated them to get in the ministry should be that, Lord, you've called me, it scares me to death, but I just want your kingdom to be furthered and keep my motives pure. Did you catch the lifestyle? They're usually adulterous, they're greedy, they're power hungry, and they're narcissistic. Those are four marks almost all the time. They may only be three out of four, but almost all the time you watch for these people. They're money grabbers. They're greedy. They're narcissistic. Everything's about them advancing themselves, and they're adulterous, and it usually comes out in time. And lastly, as we go back to Matthew, what's the fruit? They have a corrupt message. They have a corrupt lifestyle, and false prophets produce wrong results. That's the fruit. The fruit of their message, their words are their fruit, their lifestyle is their fruit. And then what about the results of their ministry? So I would encourage you, that book you're reading, the podcast you're listening to, ask yourself, since this person came into my life, what has been the effect on my spiritual life? A church ought to ask themselves, since that person has come into our ministry, what has been the effect spiritually on our church since they have come into our ministry? What's been the effect? Two final things, and then I'll, I'm going to wind it down. Here's the next to the last one. Here's a true prophet, a true teacher, a person that truly is called and gifted and desirous to speak forth God's word. The first three or four words are very important here. If received, that's key. If received and given time, if it's received. A true Bible teacher can teach and preach, but if it's not received, then there are not going to be results. If received by those that are being taught, and if given time, I would propose to you that the ministry of a true Bible teacher should result in at least 
three things, and I narrowed down. It could be many, many more. It should result in people drawing closer to the Lord. It should result in people becoming stronger in their spirit. It should result in people becoming more and more godly in their living. That's the typical result of a true Bible teacher preacher. You see that list? So here it is. Watch. Here's the Lord, and here's you, and here's this person speaking into your life. Here's your Sunday school teacher, and here's a pastor, and here's the person on TV, and here's the podcast that you're listening to. If these are all true Bible teachers and preachers, then you should be just drawing closer and closer to the Lord. And all the while, you should be drawing stronger and stronger in your spirit. And as this journey goes, you're getting more and more victorious over sin. You're still struggling against it, and you fell down, but you know how to get that right and to claim confession and forgiveness. And you get back up, and you learn how to battle that and let the Lord win the victory. But you're growing in your walk with the Lord. You're getting closer to the Lord. You're getting stronger in your spirit, and your life is becoming more and more godly, and it's having an effect That should be what you would expect of a Bible teacher, preacher. You say, well, what about false prophets? Barclay finishes today for us by giving us four typical. He had five, and this is not a word for word, but four possible effects of false teaching. Number one, the ministry of false teachers produces religion that focuses mainly on externals. Watch out for that. Their ministry focuses mainly on externals. Guys, I wish I'd put those on your handout. I wish I would have put them in a different order because number one, two, and four, they kind of go together with a certain kind of false prophet. And that third one is literally like on the other spectrum because there's different kinds of false prophets. So just remember one, two, four kind of go together. Here's one. They hammer away and their religion that they're teaching is all about the externals. Barclay writes the following. He says, it is possible to teach that religion consists of going to church, observing the Lord's day, fulfilling one's financial obligations to the church, and reading one's Bible. Those are great things. What's your church all about? Well, they want us to go to church on the Lord's day and give money to the church and read our Bible. And if we do that, everything's good. Barclay writes, a man might do all these things And still be far off from being a Christian. You say, do you think someone could? Oh, absolutely. All around our county today are people who are faithful to go to church. And they observe the Lord's day. And they read their Bible. And they drop a tithe or an offering in the church. But they're not saved. I pray the Lord lets me never settle for such a low bar as just externals. Just externals. Some are constantly. It's always about the outside. Number two. False teaching often has an effect of producing religion that focuses on prohibitions. You know what that means? They focus on prohibitions. Man-made rules. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't fix your hair that way. I, don't, don't do that. Don't wear that. Don't go over there. What do we do? I'll tell you what you do. You do what I say don't do. That's what we do. And it's just like, are we the religion of the don't do list? Yep. And that's what, again, this is kissing cousins, all these externals, you do these few things, but mainly we're the don't do, don't do, don't do. And it's like, man, Christianity sounds like a real hard life. It sounds like a real strict rules-driven life. Yeah, that's what false teaching leads to. It's all about the don'ts. It's all about the externals. This third one is almost like on the other end of the spectrum. It produces a religion that leads to an unchanged life. 
I would remind you what we read a while ago in Jude. Do you remember that? Jude verse 4, certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality. Some, so this over here, they want you to go by all their rules and all the externals. But this one over here, it's like, don't worry about it. God's good. Your life won't need to change at all. I want to contend that true Bible teaching and preaching will lead to a changed life if a believer is a true believer. They had the Holy Spirit in them. If they keep exposing themselves to true Bible teaching and preaching, they're going to face conviction, and they're going to want to get, a, get in tune with what God is doing, and God is going to change their life as they respond to Him in obedience, and the life is changing. Every Christian here ought to ask themselves, how has my life changed since I've come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Do y'all know that I could right now point to people in this room, in this room, who've been saved in the last two or three years? And, and I didn't know them two or three years ago, but I'll guarantee people who did know them would say, I don't know what happened to them, but since they've got saved, like, they're like a whole new person. Yep, that's true religion. The life is changed. I told you one, two, and four are often the same kind of false teaching, and that's this one. Barclay writes... False teaching often can have the effect of producing religion, which is arrogant. Arrogant. Godly, true Bible teaching and preaching should never lead God's people to a conclusion. You know, we do all those externals and we don't do and don't do and don't do. We're up here and everybody else is down there. And some are constantly, the, the, the purpose, the direction of their ministry is constantly pulling people. Don't have anything to do with all of them. Just get over here. We're all by ourselves. It's just us. We're the only godly ones. Careful. They're probably false teachers. Doesn't lead to arrogance. The opposite Bible teaching leads to a focus mostly on internals. And not just what we don't do. It's most about what we get to do. And it's about, Lord, look what, how you are changing my life. And it doesn't lead to arrogance. It leads to humility. Lord, why me? Why did you save me? I don't deserve this. That's a Bible perspective. So I told you, I'm not going to finish with a come forward or anything like that. It's not that kind of message. So as I close, here's my last thoughts. Minor discrepancies on, so we have primary doctrines, and there's secondary doctrines, and there's third level doctrines. Guys, minor discrepancies among Bible teachers and preachers on secondary and tertiary doctrines, that doesn't make them a heretic. It makes them human. But if we see a pattern of a corrupt, wrong message of a corrupt, wrong living, and of wrong results, then that means I don't need to be following that person. Particularly, the Bible is clear that elders are supposed to be on the watch for false teachers and false prophets. What that means is, and there's a couple of pastors that, that are not officially on our elder board, but their job along with our other four elders and me as well, their job every week is to be analyzing is what Jeff teaching true or not and is what the Sunday school teacher saying is it true or not is what's being taught to our youth and to our kids is that true or not our job is to be on the lookout but if you'll remember second John was written to a lady who had a house church and she was being told for all the people in the faith family all of them are supposed to be on the lookout for false teaching so what is your job to constantly be analyzing the message that is being given 
And so I leave you with these challenges. Listen to lots of Bible teaching. Just be choosy who it is. Evaluate me all the time by my message, by my life, knowing that it will be very imperfect. But you evaluate me by my message and by my life and by the results of my ministry and anyone else here. And then I would finish with this. When God speaks to you, when God speaks to you through his word and even through the man of God who's being used to handle the word of God, then obey what God is teaching you. And that's, that's the message. Be choosy who you listen to. Always be evaluating them. And when God speaks, very clearly it is God speaking through his word, through this person, then obey what God says to do and we'll be on good footing. Don't follow just because someone has a title or a position You follow because their message and their life, imperfectly, but their life matches that. And the results is, I'm growing closer to the Lord. And I'm getting stronger in my spirit. And God's making my life changed. That's a good sign. Would you stand this morning? We'll be dismissed in a word of prayer. Thank you for your attention. I told you it would be very different.